Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. It's time for Cover 2 Broncos. Just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now, your hosts, Joe Rowles. Welcome back to another episode of Cover 2 Broncos. I am Joe Rowles. And today, it's Chiefs Week. It is basically the first of two Super Bowl weeks in Broncos country. Uh, And there is nobody that I would rather have on for the first Super Bowl of the season than Craig Stout. Uh, If you guys don't know, Craig writes and talks for KC Sports Network. He is on Twitter at BarleyHop. If you are looking to catch up with KC Sports Network, they are at KC Sports Network. Thanks for joining me, man. I'm excited. Yeah, I appreciate it. Nobody you'd rather be talking to. You sure about that? I mean, that that's pretty that's pretty high praise, man. Like and especially for a Super Bowl week like you guys got coming up here. It kind of, for me, it comes down to, you're, you're probably my favorite Chiefs analyst. And, and to all the other Chiefs analysts out there that I'm cool with, I apologize. I'm not trying to offend you. But <laughs> Sending uh, that to all of them, by the way. Yeah, I, I figured, yeah. <laughs> makes sense. But also, I mean, just, yeah, I, I just, I don't even know. It's just, that's kind of where it's at. Um, So oh, thank you. That. Yeah, thank you for joining me. And guys, again, like, Go follow him on Twitter. Uh, I have learned a lot about the Chiefs, so I have extra insight into the enemy because of you. So thank you. Um, And hopefully that's kind of what we'll give you guys this week. Because again, this is my take. And I, you know, I I apologize that this isn't like a long rant, but I feel like after a Broncos win, we're still, we're still caught up in like nitpicking all the little things that went good, bad, and otherwise in the most recent game. And I'm going to be honest, it happened already. Like at this point, like this Chiefs game is such a big deal for Broncos fans and honestly for the team that I personally, I don't feel like we have enough time to to whine about what went wrong with Teddy Bridgewater. Like I just, he is who we thought he was when the Broncos had tra- traded for him. Like the fact that we're still bitching about Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater 12 weeks into the season is insane to me. It's Chiefs week. The Broncos basically, if they don't win this game, they almost have to win out to make the playoffs. 
which really gives you an idea of how important this game really is for the Broncos perspective. Obviously a little different for the chiefs. I mean, yeah, yes and no, because here's the thing. The chiefs have three divisional opponents here. They, they're going to go uh, Broncos, Raiders, and then Chargers on a short week, just back to back to back here. The Chiefs run through that three-game stretch. They essentially win the division, not mathematically, but I mean, it basically everybody has to run the table in that scenario. So you put your divisional rivals up against it. So coming out of a bye here, and we, you know, Andy Reid talks about it all the time. Everybody talks about Andy Reid out of the bye all the time. That's, that's a tired narrative at this point, but... Coming out of the bye, they need to show what they can do against a defense that's given them trouble on the offensive side of the ball, and they need to do it against this, you know, basically this stretch against the division to make sure that they stay ahead of all these divisional opponents who are apparently all good. Like in week 12, every one of the divisional opponents has a winning record, something that I don't think any of us would have predicted Raiders so uh you know we were just it, it it's a very important matchup for the Chiefs as well maybe not quite as important as it is for the Broncos I said earlier this week that if the Chiefs were to drop one of these three games I'm actually okay with it being the Broncos because they can spin around in week 18 and sort of yeah. rectify that loss and eliminate that head-to-head -head loss so I I do think that this game is important but it certainly doesn't hold the same sort of importance as especially the Broncos players are talking about it this week in press conferences. Yeah. And I think a lot of that comes down to, first of all, at this point, I, I want to say there is one player on the Broncos roster who has been on the Broncos roster when they beat the chiefs, which it's kind of embarrassing at this point. Uh, but that's just kind of how it is. Uh, and then on the other side of it, as you alluded to, and as I kind of touched on, I want to say ESPN or no, it's 538's uh, playoff model. If the Broncos happen to win this game, their playoff odds go up to something like 53%. If they lose this game, the Broncos playoff odds are in pretty close to single digits. Uh, oh, yeah. That's just kind of where it's at. Um, because for the Broncos side of it, they have the lions after this, but after that it's all division games and the Bengals. So mm -hmm. every team is a playoff contender. They've already lost a game to the Raiders. Yes. They have the win over the chargers, but it's a slog ahead. They have to yeah. kind of take care of business. They they wasted their opportunities to drop like, oh, shit happens kind of losses early in the season. Mm -hmm. They don't have those anymore, so they got to make the most of what they have in front of them. So I guess like based on what you just said, I would say that it's safe to say that this is not a trap game for the Chiefs. Um, may, I, I think that if it was a different opponent, I really do think that that Fangio style defense has just been giving them fits all year long. These defenses that are coming in and frankly running shittier versions of what the Broncos are running it and still being able to stop the Chiefs. I think that that matters a lot. I think that offense has a lot that they want to go out and prove in this game. Now, again, like I said, you got these three divisional opponents that can afford a loss and still be able to rectify it later. So it, it could be a trap game. I, I do think, though, it's super important for them to showcase on offense that they can do it so they can knock some of these teams that don't predominantly play it out of that defense and get back into what they're game planning for every week. We saw what the Chiefs did to the Raiders, you know, a couple of weeks ago when Gus Bradley decided, no, you know what, I'm going to do what I do and I'm going to do it well. 
and the Chiefs absolutely destroyed them on offense. So I, I do want to, I do think that it it matters enough to the Chiefs to where it won't become a trap game. Now that next week against the Raiders with the Chargers up, now that, you want to talk to me about that one? That, that's a trap game. But this game against the Broncos, I do think they'll be up for. So you kind of touched on the fact that the two high shells are, are have been giving, and I know that's the narrative kind of all year. Mm-hmm. Based on what I've seen, again, tell me if I'm wrong. I don't feel like Mahomes is necessarily struggling. I, I think he's like closer to mortal than he has been in recent years. Mm-hmm. But he's still, and I know the I know the numbers aren't necessarily in his favor as of right now. But when I'm watching tape, it looks like Mahomes. Like I, I'm not, you know what I mean. You turn on Baker, and Baker looks like a broken China doll based on what we sure. saw last year compared to this year. That's not true with Mahomes. He still looks the same. It's just there's a lot more drops. I've definitely noticed that. And the fact that everyone's kind of playing over the top of everything, it's forcing him to kind of play check down Charlie, but I'm not, it's still there. He's still making deep crossers. He's still hitting whole shots. Yeah, he is. And I mean, I think you saw in the two Broncos games last year yeah. that he took what was there underneath. He, he checked down and he was fine with it. And they ran the ball a little more than they did, but they still did take those shots and he hit on them. Yeah. The problem this year seems to be, they don't have that third receiving threat. Yeah. They've got Tyree Kill. They've got Travis Kelsey. We know the offense is flowing through them, and Andy Reid schemes up as much as he can to get those guys open. But then those two are also leading the league in drops. So I mean, like it's they're they're also putting the ball, unfortunately, not on the ground, but up into the air for defenders to run and get their hands on it. Mahomes has a whole bunch of interceptions that were popped up in the air. He's also got some horrific throws into coverage as well, just trying to force things. It does seem like he's getting a little bit frustrated. The glimpses of Mahomes are definitely still there. He's still got the talent. He's not broken. He's still doing all the things that we've seen him do before, but it's almost like he's getting a little, um, a little uncomfortable uh, having to take the check down, having to take underneath. And then when these drops happen, when these mistakes happen, then all of a sudden it feels like he's pressing a little <laughs> bit. And that that pressing has turned into some more turnovers, have turned into some games where the Chiefs just frankly can't catch up. you know. And so it, he is still there. We are all kind of still waiting for you know that kind of God-tier Mahomes to come back if it's coming back this season it may not we'll we'll see maybe the nfl has figured out a way to kind of keep him below that level but it definitely seems that he's still the same player just maybe pressing a little more than we've seen it in you know the past three years that have been ridiculous and i and i wanted to start there just because i know a lot of people and this, again this is going on today um guys you listening this is coming out on thursday but on Wednesday, there was a lot of numbers comparing Teddy Bridgewater and Mahomes as a way to like, oh, see, Teddy Bridgewater is actually outplaying Mahomes this year. And while part of it is Teddy Bridgewater is playing pretty well, he's probably having a career year with the Broncos as of right now. He is. Mm-hmm. And Mahomes is, in terms of production, his as you mentioned, his numbers are a little down. But again, like this isn't one of those things where you can overlook him. And I and I and that's why I kind of mention it, just because I don't want fans going into this game thinking like, oh yeah, the Broncos will have no problem. It's like, no, he's still Mahomes. And if they don't keep on top of like the pass rush, he's gonna light him up. Like that's Fangio has to do his part. And that's kind of where I'm worried. Uh just because when you look at the rest of the talent around Mahomes, 
yes, the receiving core, there's there's definitely issues after Hill and Kelsey. Um, personally, I do like Robinson, but I do think he's a he's a tertiary. He's He's just an inconsistent weapon. Yeah. You, you have games. I, I would take a Demarcus Robinson game this week. I mean. <laughs> well, and I, I like what he brings in terms of uh, he's a decent blocker. I think he's probably mm-hmm. one of the one of the better blockers on the roster for you guys. And I also mm-hmm. think that he he works as a as a rub route guy pretty well over the years. Mm-hmm. I've noticed that I scouted him a few years back for scouting Academy. I noticed that. Uh, but yeah, I do agree with that, that in terms of like overall that the third receiver is not as scary as it has been, but the interior right. offensive line to me is much scarier. And that's an issue this week because first of all, Shelby Harris, as of today, Wednesday has not practiced. The hope is that he will be able to practice the rest of the week, play the game. The Broncos running run defense held up pretty okay against the chargers, but the chargers don't have the talent up front that the chiefs do. And guys, if you haven't been paying attention, Creed Humphrey should make the pro bowl as a rookie uh, center uh, Joe Tooney next to him. I think Tooney is a better pass blocker than run blocker, but he is very good at both. Like I'm not, this isn't to, to you know, right. disparage him by any means. Yeah. And I don't know if Kyle Long's playing this week. I know he he's coming off of IR. I would assume that they're going to probably ease him back in for the stretch run. If that's the case. Yeah. Uh, but the interior offensive line is very good. And the Broncos have had a lot of issues with better offensive lines. Uh, the Cleveland game granted Baron Browning, wasn't a factor. Curtis Robinson was in, uh, but I mean, it's been a factor. The Philly game, Philly game too. When Baron Browning was in Philly still was able to run the ball at will. And I think if you guys can run the ball, I don't think Reed is going to refuse to do it. I think you guys have the personnel to pound in between the tackles if you want to. Yeah. And there's been a call for more of that from our fan base. They they want to run the ball more, especially when you're seeing some of those too high, that late spin stuff, you know, the, the yardage is there. The boxes are advantageous. You're asking those safeties to come up and have to fill against Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, Daryl Williams, uh, Jarek McKinnon just went on IR. So it remains to be seen who's going to step in. It's kind of that, that third back for the Chiefs, probably Derek Gore, but, what you've seen is that interior trio at Creed Humphrey, Joe Tooney, and six-round pick Trey Smith yeah. have just been absolutely dominant when moving bodies up front. I agree with you that the way that they're using Joe Tooney right now, he's a better pass blocker than he's a run blocker, but he is an excellent gap scheme run blocker. So is Trey Smith. So is Creed Humphrey. And they refuse to run gap schemes. <laughs> They're still primarily a zone rushing attack. It's an Andy Reid thing. So at some point, I expect that to happen. But those guys get so much push in, in their running scheme that when Clyde Edwards Alaire and Daryl Williams get a chance to really kind of flex their muscles, call multiple run plays in a row get kind of in their bag with that a little bit more and not have to rely just on RPOs, you know, actually cold runs where these guys get to climb quickly, get to get out into space, pull out into space at times. That's when we've seen them be their most effective. And that's when we see the Chiefs rip off six and seven yard runs. Like they'll run the ball five times in a row and just pick up chunk yardage on every single one. And then the next time out, they come out they just try and throw the ball a whole bunch of times against a too high shell that is welcoming them to try and take shots downfield. So 
I think at some point there's going to be an evaluation that says, listen, we're going to run the ball a little bit more. This might be the game for it, especially if Shelby Harris is out. Then all of a sudden that does get a little bit more advantageous in the Chiefs, you know, the Chiefs way there. I think they could try and take advantage of it, get Clyde Edwards Alaire back on the horse. He finally back after being injured, got to play a little bit against Dallas, get him some actual run this week and see what they can do against those linebackers. Although Kenny Young and Baron Browning aren't playing poorly against the run right now. Both those guys are actually playing pretty well, but we'll see what happens. Maybe you can get those interior offensive linemen to climb a little quicker to those guys. Well, and I'm glad you mentioned the issues with the gap scheme stuff, because on paper, you look at the offensive line and you guys are built to run gap a lot like basically across the Orlando line, Brown as well yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's kind of a concern of mine because with the bye week and kind of like bye weeks are kind of good for self-scouting based on like mm -hmm. you know everything I know and so you kind of look at pay look on paper while well, we're having issues with two high shells we have the personnel to run the ball what is our what is our strength as a you know as a run team <laughs> and also what is the best way to run on a Fangio defense with gap scheme stuff. So mm -hmm. it is definitely a big concern for me going into this game, because if that happens, you can outnumber the point of attack. And all of a sudden, because Kenny Young and Baron Brown, you're right. They both have played a lot better than I expected Kenny Young and Baron Browning to play this year. But neither one of them, well, Browning more than Young, but neither one of them are necessarily like hefty at the point of attack. Uh, if sure. you out, if you bring, you know, a pulling guard around and all of a sudden Kenny Young has to meet him and then try and, clog it up like it's going to be an issue if you're doing that enough and so that mm -hmm. is a concern for me and then the problem is if you start to respond to that by bringing bodies down near the line of scrimmage well oh yeah Mahomes yeah. you're kind of you're kind of playing right into the wheelhouse and that's honestly what I thought you guys were kind of building this line to do over the offseason <laughs> so it would make a lot of sense kind of gearing up for the playoffs to suddenly kind of unleash that now um yeah it will see more more than one article that I wrote about the Chiefs switching to the gap scheme. I got really excited, studied a lot of Lincoln Riley, Oklahoma offense and the way that they were able to effectively, you know, run some of their RPOs and their bubbles and things like that off of their gap scheme looks and all of that. And yeah, we haven't seen any of it. So it's <laughs> been a lot of time this offseason doing that for uh, nothing so far. Uh, I spent <laughs> I spent a whole offseason going over why the Broncos were going to run more gap. And honestly, it was their best. <laughs> it was their best run game last year. And Javante Williams, that's what he's best at. Mm -hmm. And they only have just now started to sprinkle it in. But we'll see. Uh, but in terms of offense, otherwise, though, one of the other sets that really makes me nervous, if you guys do stick in what we've seen to this point, and this is something that's given the Broncos a ton of issues basically since Fangio has been there is three by one with Travis Kelsey on one side by himself. And on the other side, you have Tyree kill on the inside. Uh, one of the big issues for that this year is the fact that first of all, Kareem Jackson is a question mark right now. So at that point you're counting on Caden Stearns and Justin Simmons to cut the crosser and try and pick that up. And those deep crossing routes, we've seen that be an issue before Chris Harris got completely toasted a couple years ago by Tyree kill on that. The other issue is obviously Kyle Fuller is he's okay. Uh, yeah. And again, like if Ronald Darby can't play because Ronald Darby is also sick as of today, may practice later this week, but on Wednesday he has missed practice. Uh, but if Kyle Fuller is the slot, Kyle Fuller isn't necessarily Kyle Fuller of like two years ago at this point. He does not have the same mobility he had. He's still a savvy player. Uh, 
willing to get dirty, but him on Tyreek Hill is a nightmare. Mm-hmm. I mean, Tyreek Hill on anybody's a nightmare. Let's, yeah, let's be real true. here. I mean, Patrick Sertan even said it, you know, to, today the presser said something similar. It's just like, listen, he's different. We all know it. No, the, the Chiefs have relied on that three by one a lot this year. Uh, it seems it's their go to. They use Travis Kelsey isolated on the backside. Some of those Y ISO looks, they get him on some of these post routes, trying to attack the safeties, and then they'll run the deep over underneath it to try and really, you know, create confusion there in the in the defensive backfield, and it works. But as we've seen, we've started to see some teams that have started to kind of ignore that or rotate that back cornerback across to try and pick up the post and have the safety drive on Tyreek Hill and basically take away both those routes because the Chiefs don't have a guy on that boundary that can really get vertical. You know, a lot of times, you know, it's a kind of a runoff route or whatever the case may clear out route, if you want to call it that, that they have a guy there. And frankly, there hasn't been that guy that the Chiefs are willing to throw that ball to. Now, They've got Josh Gordon. They're using him a lot more. Josh Gordon also is not the player that people remember from a while ago. He just doesn't have that same suddenness or dynamic nature, but he is playing a lot more. He's a guy that in the past has done well to kind of create that spacing and stack, you know, cornerbacks and be able to offer that threat, but they're still not throwing him the ball when he's in those scenarios too. So we've seen some defenses that have tried to solve that, and tried to solve it that way. I wonder if the Chiefs are going to start taking, again, like you said, self-scouting, start taking some more of those shots and make it to where defensive coordinators go, oh, okay, let's back up off that a little bit. Let's try and figure out a different way to solve some of these deep overs, to solve some of these looks with Kelsey isolated on the backside against a cornerback and try and get some more, you know, some more bodies in the way of some of these things. But as it stands right now, defenses have kind of keyed on some of that we saw it against the chargers uh we saw staley take that away a little bit and we've seen some defenses kind of follow behind that taking it away similarly what's the answer if that's what fangio does <laughs> like I, I know it's easier you know it's easy yeah. easy to theory craft this but but let's say the Bronx because again like there's only so much you can take away is the other part mm-hmm. of this and that's that's honestly on my side of it. That's what makes this scary is if you devote a lot of attention to taking that away to me, even even out of that three by one set, you guys have the personnel to run inside. They definitely mm-hmm. did like, I, you know. And again, McTelvin Ajim had a career career game against the Chargers. It helped that he was playing against a backup left guard. Uh, everything I've seen from him, not to you know pour cold water on it, but he's not the run defender that Shelby is if he's in the game. Deshaun Williams is going to be outmatched a little bit in terms of just overall size and play strength inside in this game. Uh, so it kind of comes down to if Shelby's healthy, Draymond's a little undersized, but he's so quick that he can usually make up for it. And then Purcell and Shamar Stefan are both playing okay. Uh, but but again, like if, if the Broncos stay in that too high look, it's kind of a pick your poison to me. Like, do, mm-hmm. would you rather just let them run and hopefully get ahead of the chains enough? to then get some third and longs and win that way. Am I crazy? Is that yeah. kind of like what you're hoping for in this case? Like from, from the no, Broncos I mean, perspective, that seems to be the way to do it. Right. For sure. For sure. You, because you want to limit those explosive plays. You don't want to get Travis Kelsey and Tyreek going like that's, that's just not the way that you, you want that to happen. So you're either going to have to take some deep shots 
and force this defense out. And, you know, you complete one, it changes everything. Yeah, yeah it does. Or you run the ball a little bit, or you throw some bubble screens out to that bunch set, maybe get McCole Hardman with the ball in his hands. He's got plenty of speed and is decent at following his blockers. You get him in open space, especially with those two deep safeties there. Or, you know, you get your screen game going a little bit. You you know, you run a back screen game going, knowing that those guys are going to give you so much space underneath and you're going to be able to get your horses out in front of the running backs. But all of that is requiring, you know, basically your point man over there, your corner against the three-by-one set, and then also your front seven to be ridiculously sound, all yes. in the name of stopping those those deep overs stopping that post from kelsey stopping those sorts of things that's what they've got to do if they want to limit some of that stuff but i do see the chiefs being able to do that we've seen glimpses of it but we haven't seen enough of it we know that andy reed when he gets a lead he just doesn't want to show anything you know he, he keeps his cards as close to the vest as possible he'll run the same play four or five times you know in a game that may or may not work just because he's got a lead or he feels comfortable with the game script or something like that. So if he decides, you know, Hey, it's time we're going to, we're going to come out. We're going to turn it on. You might actually see a lot more of the run game might see some more bubbles, might see some more guys with the ball in their hands quickly out in space to try and maximize the fact that there's playing so deep to protect the deep ball. And that's one of the other parts to this matchup that is it's easy to fall asleep on just because it's not, you know, it's not necessarily exciting. Yeah. But the Chiefs, but the Chiefs have probably the best screen game in the league. And Reed has kind of a preternatural feel for when to call it. And that's, that's honestly, to me, that's what separates him from Shermer is because the Broncos have the personnel to run a lot of screens. Oh yeah, they do. But they, they dial it up in like the most predictable situation. So mm-hmm. they're easy to sniff out. And I actually had somebody, this whole thing, I'm not to, pitch but i had somebody reach out to me after the chargers game like oh i don't really understand why people complain about Shermer. this this play looked great and i like i was mentioning all this (laughs) stuff to him it's like yeah but this screen worked i was like yeah that's the one screen i've seen this year that really looked how you were hoping it would (laughs) to me it makes sense to kind of make the chiefs do essentially a long march because Mm -hmm. probably the biggest surprise to me when i looked over all the numbers is y'all y'all have kind of struggled around the 20s this year which is weird and, and I know part of it is, and in the Broncos perspective on this is like, they've kind of tried to play in this since Fangio has been there. Once you kind of take away those threats of the deep play, deep game, and you can kind of crowd the spaces, it does get harder to really mm-hmm. rip off long passes with, with Hill, Kelsey and the, you know, Watkins in the past. But I mean, is that, is that kind of like, what, what do you expect them to do around the red zone to try and solve that issue in this game? Well, unfortunately, when the Chiefs get into the red zone, they'll maybe try and run once. Um, they they may have something that's more of a boot rollout where they're cutting the field in half and having a lot of routes, you know, basically flooding against you know, like quarters or something like yeah. that that's coming up there. Or what happens frustratingly often is they pull out some sort of trick play they get fancy in the end zone i mean you saw a direct snap to travis kelsey who ran a triple option a couple weeks ago we've seen them trying to throw passes to the right tackle mike rimmers before we've you know i mean and i think any broncos fan that's been around for a little while remembers dontari poe throwing a touchdown pass the nose tackle for the chiefs so i mean andy reed 
loves to really flex his offensive creativity in the red zone and win the ball, you know, when you can't line up and get some short yardage situations, those sorts of things are fun and they're great and really bonds the team together. But we haven't seen enough of the Chiefs just lining up with Clyde Edwards-Alaire behind that interior offensive line that we talked about earlier and just saying, listen, we're we're going to win. Like, this is, this is what we're going to do. We don't have to do misdirection. We don't have to do anything. We're just going to line up and take it to these teams. And we just don't see that in the red zone right now. We see a lot of jet motion. We see a lot of, you know, a lot of trap blocks. We see a lot of things like that that are a little slower developing yes. and cause the defense, you know, to play sound. But a lot of the defenses that they've been playing against have done a good job against that. So that's where some of those woes have come about. It's also where they're turning the ball over a lot. Uh, there have been, I, I lost count now at this point, but I, four or five offensive drives that have gotten inside the 15-yard line, the opponent's 15-yard line, and the Chiefs have turned the ball over. That's a lot of points that they yes. just basically left out there. So they have not been good at taking care of the ball anyway, but it just seems to be amplified a little bit Maybe again, like I talked about, because they're pressing a little bit. They're looking at it going, well, you know, our red zone numbers, we really got to punch this in. We got it, you know, we're right here and all this. And they maybe they tense up a little bit. Things don't go so well. So we've seen a lot of that recently, unfortunately. And now all of a sudden we're talking about one of the Andy Reid offenses being terrible in the red zone. It's really kind of kind of weird to watch, but that it is what it is right now. And one of the reasons kind of shifting to the other side of the ball, because one of the reasons I think Mahomes was pressing early in the season is that there's a lot of struggles on defense. Mm -hmm. uh, I know by the numbers, like you look at the season long numbers, the chiefs have one of the worst defenses in the league. To me, those numbers are a bit misleading though. And, <laughs> and I, and I think you, you probably agree because once after the Tennessee game, the chiefs have really kind of buckled down. And I know part of that is, Chris Collinsworth and a lot of people have made a lot about Chris Jones moving to three tech. And obviously that has helped like definitely has sure. helped a lot when I, when I'm watching the Dallas game and he's just routinely wrecking people like it definitely, you notice it uh, him and Jerron Reed next to each other is definitely going to be an issue Ooh. for the Broncos. But I mean, what else has really changed or is it, or is it just that it, it is it that simple? Uh, no, it, it's unfortunately not quite that simple. Now, if Chris Jones wants to play like that every week, it is that simple. You just let that man go <laughs> because he's yeah. he's going to be absolutely dominant. He was a wrecking ball against the Cowboys, and he's been a wrecking ball for about the past four or five weeks. I'm actually writing an article that goes up when you guys are listening to this. It will be up there that's taking a look at those exact changes. I write about the defense every week. I chart the defense every week. Steve Spagnolo is fun to chart because he is varied. His scheme is not stagnant. Coming off of that Bob Sutton team that I also charted, it's not stagnant at all. So it wasn't the scheme necessarily. It wasn't that they were doing something wrong schematically. It was more personnel. Uh, Dan Sorensen was playing a lot of snaps at the beginning of the year. And Dan Sorensen has played a lot of snaps for this team over the past two to three years. But Dan Sorensen has clearly taken a bit of a step back this year. Drew and... Locke is very well acquainted with Dan Sorensen. <laughs> yes. There's actually 
Derek Carr is very well acquainted with him. Philip Rivers was very well acquainted with him. Dan Sorensen shows up for divisional games. That's 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 what he does. But he played a lot of snaps with his team, clearly taking a step back. Yeah. And Spagnola was trying to let him work through it a little bit. And that just it it didn't work out. So after that Buffalo game where he just repeatedly got abused, since then Juan Thornhill has replaced him and played 95% of the snaps. So replaced him fully. Dan Sorensen plays in the dime still, so you'll still see him out there. So, I mean, Teddy Bridgewater should look for him still. He's still out there. But that change happened. Uh, the Chiefs cornerbacks got healthy. Mike Hughes was playing a lot of snaps, and he might still this week, Rashad Fenton, is nursing a knee injury that he suffered against Dallas. He did not practice today. So Mike Hughes might be out there again. The Chargers beat him up with a lot of 50-50 balls with those bigger receivers, bigger receivers, much like the Broncos have. So something that I'm very much paying attention to this season. But Charvarius Ward, Rashad Fenton, and then Legereus Sneed has just been playing lights out yeah. for the past four weeks. Those, those three guys, plus Juan Thornhill back there, and then Tyron Matthew as well those guys have really kind of created a a really strong coverage shell on the back end there and it's propagated through to the front seven that four-man rush is finally healthy frank clark and chris jones have been dealing with injuries all year long those two guys have been incredible rushing the passer over the past five weeks they've really been good and then they added Melvin Ingram, yep. you know, at the bye week or not at the bye week at the trade deadline there. And he has been slowly playing more and more snaps and he makes an impact player to every single week. I'm looking for him again, another situation where you've got the bye week, you can get him and get more of the playbook stuffed into his brain and get him more snaps. Those three guys have really taken advantage of the fact that, the coverage is good on the back end and Steve Spagnuolo can get into his coverage bag a little bit more, kind of put that shell on top of it and prevent some of the deep shots, prevent some of the easy stuff underneath as well and force quarterbacks to have to hold on to the ball. And then you got Chris Jones playing like a wrecking ball up front. So, I mean, it, it's a lot of things there, but it's mostly been personnel and health related so far. And then, you know, once you get all those guys finally on the field together, everything looks a lot better than when you've got a whole bunch of backups trying to communicate all that stuff to each other. Yeah. And I got to say the Steelers dealing Melvin Ingram to you guys for a day three pick was kind of just a giant F you to the rest of the AFC. Uh, <laughs> because I mean, Ingram, those of you who remember back before the Steelers game, I was talking about how Ingram was going to be a huge issue in that game for the Broncos because he's a, he's able to be a stand-up rusher and rush inside mm -hmm. and he's the perfect kind of body type and skill set to give Dalton Reisner issues if he's held. And again, he might not even play in this game, but Dalton Reisner basically since he was drafted has had issues with those kind of rushers, uh, mm -hmm. quick footed edge rushers rushing inside or defensive tackles who have that kind of quickness. So Chris Jones is going to be an issue as well. And if he doesn't play, you have Natani Muti who has T-Rex arms. So it's still going to be an issue. <laughs> Yeah. And next to him is Lloyd Cushenberry and Cushenberry admittedly has played better this year, but Cushenberry is still probably about average in terms of overall performance has issues with his anchor. So against Reed, I'm kind of nervous. 
honestly, outside of Quinn Miners, the interior, I'm definitely nervous about how the Broncos offensive line is going to handle. And obviously even Miners, like he's a rookie. Uh, he's just mm-hmm. been playing really well. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm optimistic, definitely concerned in terms of how yeah. the pass pro is going to hold up, especially because the tackle situation is so unsettled right now. Uh, the hope is Garrett Bowles is supposed to be off the COVID list tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, t- obviously today, if to you guys listening, uh, was dealing with an ankle high ankle sprain. So it's still the hope is he'll play for this game, but he might be playing through a high ankle sprain. And then it looks like Bobby Massey will be back. Uh, his wife has tweeted it out. So I expect Bobby Massey to play. He should help the pass protection quite a bit. Might mm-hmm. be a little bit of a downgrade in terms of the run blocking, just because Massey's a better pass blocker than run blocker. Whereas Cam Fleming is the opposite. I'll take it uh, just because it's <laughs> so important to keep Bridgewater upright because right. just to be completely honest, the Broncos don't have a backup really. Um, mm-hmm. If Drew Locke enters this contest, you guys are going to win walking away. Oh, Steve Spagnuolo feasted on him in that first matchup. He really did. And no, you're right. And here's the funny part about that. We over at the KC sports network, write A draft guide every yeah. single year. And I, I would say three of the guys that we were highest on, you know, uh, like higher than the general consensus were Reisner, Cushenberry, and Miners. Yeah, three guys that you that you guys, the Broncos, took guys that I loved. I, I really did love what they put on tape in college. I love what they've done so far. You know, here in the NFL, I think that the foundation is strong on the interior there. But yeah, like you said, it's just not a terrific matchup. No, and even Derek, Derek Nottie, who is playing lights out as a run defender, you know, he's not going to not going to rush a passer or anything like that. But he has been phenomenal in a contract year. He's absolutely incredible as a run defender so far this year. So you're going to have Chris Jones, Jaron Reed and Derek Nottie rotating on the interior there. And then, like you said, Steve Spagnuolo loves to rotate those, you know, his his bigger, heavier defensive ends into the interior like melvin ingram frank clark does it too alex okafor they do uh, and mike dana these guys rush from the interior when they get into those third and long situations trying to take advantage of those specific types of guards i fully expect that we're going to see melvin ingram standing up over the top of that what they're doing recently and i, I love it, it you mentioned him in Pittsburgh. It aggravated me so much to watch Pittsburgh use him as an off-ball linebacker or, yep. you know, kind of that mid-distance off-ball linebacker rather than a pass rusher. And because that's what he is. I have yeah, a go, lot of questions. I have a lot of questions about <laughs> Keith Butler in general. Uh, yes. Again, like the, the Steelers defense has been good for quite a while in terms of by the numbers mm-hmm. and stuff. But when you look at their personnel and then you look at how they're used so often, I just think like a Steve Spagnuolo for them. And again, like I understand that you guys like the defense is kind of up and down here and there because of personnel in part. Mm -hmm. But I I agree with you. Like every game when back when the Broncos were starting lock, I would be nervous about these games every year because you watch how Spags dials up pressure and it's so Mm. tough to predict pre-snap what's happening. So for a quarterback who struggles with that kind of stuff, it's going to be hell. I don't understand why the Steelers don't have more of that kind of stuff because they have the perfect personnel to do it. <laughs> they do. They do. They really do. And for whatever reason, they played Melvin because maybe they were looking at it and they were going, well, we got TJ Watt and we got Alex Highsmith. So we're, we're good on the edge. Let's figure it. And they didn't use him in the way 
I mean, the Chargers laid out the blueprint with Melvin Ingram. Like, he yep. was ridiculously effective for the Chargers for years. Then he comes over to Kansas City, and Kansas City says, hey, we know exactly how to use you. He's been here. He's got a 7% pressure rate since he's been here. That's good. He hasn't been on the field a ton as he's still learning stuff. And then against the run, he's, they're only allowing 3.7 yards per rush when he's on the field. So a good run defender to his side of the field as well. It's been a big boon. And then on top of that, that means they're not playing Chris Jones at defensive end yep. nearly as much anymore. Chris Jones has played at defensive tackle for over 80% of the snaps since Melvin Ingram got here. Before that, it was at best maybe a 60-40 split, but there were a lot of games that Chris Jones was playing maybe 70% defensive end. And while he wanted to do that, while that was the plan going into this year, it definitely didn't work in execution. I get why they tried. Didn't work. They move him back inside. He's a wrecking ball in, in there, and they're able to use everybody, use the personnel more effectively. You're talking about Keith Butler doing it. She's tried something earlier this season. They rectified it at least, and were able to get Melvin Ingram in here. So I'm I'm looking for him to maybe – Maybe put some pressure on, on these tackles because we know that Frank Clark has done a good job with that this year. Melvin Ingram has emerged as a viable third pass rushing threat so far. One thing that Spags does, and I want to bring this up just because this has been one of those things that the Broncos early in the season were having trouble running the ball. And one of the mm -hmm. things that Fangio attributed it to was that teams were doing a lot to stop the run. They were doing more run blitzes. Fangio said there was a lot of exotic looks. I didn't really notice exotic looks, but they were the teams were running quite a bit of cover three. We were seeing a lot of uh, single high. And teams do do that against Tate Bridgewater more than average. You see, you see more cover one, cover three, single high shells because teams aren't afraid of his arm, which makes sense. And the Broncos have, you know, a pretty good run to run game when they want to do it. Spags through, you know, the first 11 games doesn't call cover three very much. Uh, mm -hmm. Actually calls a good bit of cover two more than the league average calls quite a bit of quarters. A lot of the other stuff. Um, and again, like, I don't think cover three is necessarily, you know, the solution for Teddy Bridgewater. It's just, it's interesting to me that teams have been doing that quite a bit. Do you think that Spags is going to move towards that more? Or do you think this is going to be one of those things where he runs what he runs? Because to me, the things I'm most nervous about aren't necessarily that in terms of coverage. It's if the Broncos end up in long yardage situations, I noticed in the Cowboys game, I noticed this in the Raiders game, Spags, will, Spags has a bag. Like there, there's, <laughs> there's this stuff. He'll run a lot of man. He'll run a lot of cover, uh, cover zero. And what he'll do is he'll bring like a DB up on the line and odds are he actually is coming. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sneed actually is, is impressive oh, as a blitzer. Yeah. Excellent blitzer. Every game Didn't I watched, it I mean, all I in college. Didn't do it at all in college and comes into the NFL and is just an elite blitzer. It's, I, it's I hate how good he is. Uh, <laughs> when, when you guys took uh, Edwards Hilaire, I, I was thinking to myself, well, at least it wasn't Jalen Johnson. Mm. And, and the thing is, like, God help me if you guys would have got Jalen Johnson too. But Oh, man. But Oof. getting Sneed, though, that was a steal. And honestly, mm -hmm. like, like I said, every game I watched, I wrote down, like Snead is showing up. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say in terms of matchups, like you look at him on paper and yeah, the Broncos will probably be able to throw at him, but mm -hmm. I, it's, 
you're, you're kind of playing with fire because he's the guy who's going to be the one to be able to make plays on it. I think Ward Ward is better than I think his most ardent critics will mention, but he yes. can't, he can be thrown on. Um, and yes. I do think that Patrick and Sutton will be able to kind of go up and get him on a couple. If they do that, I don't know if Bridgewater will even try it, but with Snead, I'm going to, I'm going to cringe if they do. That's uh, that's the real question there. Is Bridgewater going to test some of those 50-50 balls? Because Charvarius Ward is actually pretty good at being in position yeah. on guys and staying in position. It's just at the catch point that in the past, at least, he's really been lacking, does not get his head around, has poor timing when trying to play through the receiver's hands. A lot of those things at the catch point that he struggled with. Now this year, once again, contract year, being undefeated and all of that. Um He's playing much better. He's getting his head around. He's locating the ball. I've seen him make a couple of really terrific plays on the ball, especially there in that Packers game. We, we've seen him escalated as a defender. But yeah, like you said, you still want to test him. The, the Chiefs haven't invested in the cornerback position since Brett Veach got here. Just period. They they haven't. They've skated by with minimal investment on there. And part of that is Steve Spagnolo's ability to protect those guys with good safety play over the top. Part of that is coverage scheme. Part of that is, you know, just the whole symbiosis of his pressure packages and those guys know when the ball is supposed to be coming out and you know what they can sit on. Smart cornerbacks that play really well. But then you've gone up, then we've seen this team go up against teams that are not scared to throw at him. You know, Justin Herbert and the Chargers just keep force feeding those receivers the ball. Uh, Tampa Bay in the Super Bowl last year just kept throwing at the cornerbacks all game long. And it didn't matter. They just knew that was the matchup they wanted, that was the matchup they were going to get. And so it was a lot of contested catch situations, but they knew their guys were going to be able to go up and get it. Does Teddy Bridgewater have that same ability? I know he's he's a risk-averse guy. It's what has gotten him here so far, and it's it's what's gotten him to consistent quarterback play, frankly. But that's not necessarily going to be the way to throw against this team. You got scheme stuff open, which I, I do feel like Pat Shermer is pretty good at doing, especially with Noah Flant coming across the formation, Jerry Judy working out at the slot. I feel like he's pretty good at scheming those guys open in the middle of the field, but that's also where Tyron Matthew is lurking and where he's really good at cutting routes. So I, I think that the the easier, quote-unquote, easier spots to attack are there on the boundary. It's just a question of, is Bridgewater going to throw that? Is he going to give his receiver a chance to go up and make a play? I do think those plays are there, though. I do too. And I think that's one of those things that a lot of the criticisms about Teddy Bridgewater coming into this week, depending on how this game goes, I think a lot of them could end up being what kind of leaves the Broncos on the bad end of it. This is going to be one of those games where Bridgewater really does have to say, fuck it. I'm going to throw it. And if it, Mm -hmm. if it goes bad, it goes bad. If it goes good, it goes good. But like, I don't think you're going to beat the chiefs by playing safe. No. Um, the Broncos tried to do that last year, the second game last year with Drew Locke. They tried to take the game out of his hands as much as they could. And at the end of the game, it was close. It was. Like on the on the scoreboard. I don't mm-hmm. think like I don't think the Chiefs were really sweating it because they knew that the Broncos weren't going to put the ball in Locke's hands to win the game. Mm-hmm. And, and with the with the weapons that the Broncos have, that should definitely be 
where it is. I covet the Broncos' weapons. Like the the, the pass catchers, the running backs are so good with the Broncos. And and you got to have a quarterback that can maximize that. You got to have one that's willing to take those chances, that's willing to trust that his guys are going to come up with it and and put it in places where they can, Drew Locke. So, I mean, like it, it's it's been I watching from afar, watching from the you know, the Kansas City perspective, every single year it's one of those it's like, man, if they get a quarterback like that's what it is, man. If they get a quarterback, that they, they could be ridiculously dangerous. But that's also the part of that now going into this game, looking at it from the Spagnolo side and what he's been able to do to the quarterbacks on the schedule recently gives me a little bit of confidence because I don't know. I don't think that he's going to take those same chances and that's going to play more into the hands of what the Chiefs do best. Same. And that's one of my concerns going into this game. Uh, and, and a lot of people, listeners will probably know this because I'm pretty honest about Bridgewater on here. A lot of the Twitter escapades that people kind of get. And again, tell me if I'm wrong, but Teddy Bridgewater is easily the Broncos best quarterback since Peyton Manning. Like, I don't think that's close because you look at the the laundry list of random guys. They've kind of trotted out there. Yeah, I don't like yeah. it's it's more of a it's more <laughs> of a testament to what's been around since Peyton Manning than how good Bridgewater is. But I. The idea that Bridgewater is a backup quarterback to me is probably rich. I think he's better than that, but I also think, I think that so like, but he takes it. He's a, he's one of those guys. He's a, like a forks and knives guy. This, he brings things and puts them on the table, but he also is going to take some things off the table mm-hmm. and the things mm-hmm. he takes off the table. It hurts you when you're in comeback mode and it's going to really hurt in a game like this where you have to just take chances. Yeah. And uh, chiefs had Alex Smith for yes. a long time. Perfect. Guy perfect. That- yeah. Yes, absolutely. He's a starting quarterback. I don't care what anybody had to say. He's Agreed. a starting quarterback. When he was behind, you didn't have a whole lot of faith that there was going to be a whole lot of plays to you know bring him back in it. There wasn't the offensive firepower with him under center until his last year here, which you know Patrick Mahomes showed up and he decided you know like you said you know fuck it I'm throwing it. So <laughs> that's you know. He winged it a little bit, and then all of a sudden it was like, oh, yeah, no, that that's that guy. So I, I do think that he brings that sort of thing. It's just the problem is I look at the Broncos' weapons, and I'm like, man, this team is Great. built to go vertical. They built are. to go vertical, and then to punish teams that have to defend them vertically with that good running game and those good running backs. Like, they are built. They're built for Andy Reid's offense. They're built for that sort of vertical game. And Teddy Bridgewater is more of a horizontal quarterback, which there's a place for that. There is an absolute team for that. I just don't, I don't like the marriage of those two things. It's just hard to get those guys going because it's not what they do best. You know, it's not what any of those weapons do best. Well, I think that's partly why the Broncos were trying to be patient with Drew Locke is this hope that maybe he puts oh, it together. Absolutely. It's a perfect yes. fit. Like he is, yes, is. like, if he actually was good, mm-hmm. the way he plays is actually perfect for the rest of the offense. Unfortunately, he's not. Um, yeah. So, and I'm not going to get you know too far into that whole boat. But the other part of this is that's also why once Jerry Judy was hurt, why the Broncos' offense struggled so badly is because, and that's also why he's receiving so many targets now that he's healthy. That's how Teddy wants to play: is mm-hmm. easy completions. You go do whatever you do in space. And that's why his numbers, that's why a lot of the efficiency numbers 
look as good as they do is because he's getting completions. Yeah. It's just there's better completions out there. There are. And it's one of those yeah, it's kind of going back to a lot of things that are you know happening with the overall football discourse right now. You have to make a defense respect something. You yes. have to make them defend the entire field if you don't want them to sit on a lot of these things. Jerry Judy is an awesome receiver. And Jerry Judy is going to get open a lot of times because he's an excellent receiver. And Teddy Bridgewater is going to throw to him because he's going to be open at times. But that doesn't stop safeties from driving on the routes that he's doing. That doesn't stop, that doesn't stop linebackers from gaining a little more depth, trying to take away some of that stuff that's a little easier because it becomes a little more predictable. You don't have to worry about some of that stuff. You don't have cornerback. You can have quarterbacks that sit aggressively on some of these routes. You know, like it's one of those, it's like you see the Packers or a team like that that just has these corners that play this off man and just dries on absolutely everything underneath like that's that's really damaging to that style of play so uh, you have to make teams respect your vertical game you have to at least take the shot uh, what we talked about with the chiefs game you know and how to defend that three by one you hit one shot and Jeez, now all okay. of a sudden yeah steve spagnolo's in the back of his head he's going hey man what if that happens again what if that happens so uh, you have to take them still and i just don't see enough of those on the table as it is right now in the broncos offense agreed the one area that we haven't touched on with the defense that i want i do want to touch on because i do think this is one matchup that does favor denver is the kind of the intermediate area of the field against the chiefs linebackers uh that is probably the one area that as everything around them has improved, I think the linebackers, I, I, I remain very optimistic about Willie Gay and I hate that I'm mm -hmm. optimistic about him because he has all the tools <laughs> in the world. I think given time, he's going to be a, a four down force. I don't see it yet. Uh, I still mm -hmm. think he's kind of, there's a lot of thinking. And again, he's an inexperienced player coming in. So like, it's not, Oh yeah. Uh, I was not optimistic about Nick Bolton. I'm actually really glad you guys took him. Uh, just because the the measurables combined with like the style of play, um, I see a run defender, uh, which is good. He's you know he's a and I like him as a person, but there's limitations in the passing game that I just don't think are necessarily going to go away. And I think it's a similar issue with Hitchin, uh, in terms of like when the linebackers are on the field, basically outside of Gay it's a lot of run defenders. So basically throw right behind them, like get them going mm -hmm. into space and you can probably take advantage. And with gay, basically you just run crossing routes and stuff like that. at him. you can probably get indecisions. Yeah, you definitely can. Boy, you're really taking it to Missouri Twitter right now. Like All right, Missouri. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna to retweet this and <laughs> the Kansas city fans are going to, yeah, let, let's take a listen to this. And there's going to be a whole bunch of Missouri fans. that are going to be like, what the hell? No, I, you know, dunk it on Drew Locke and Nick Bolton. Um, no, you're, you're absolutely correct. Uh, Nick Bolton has been really good as a run defender. Yes, they run a lot of run blitz, run blitzes with him featured. He's been very good at um, timing gaps, slipping blocks, getting into the backfield as a run defender. And to that point too, the Broncos have mm -hmm. actually allowed a lot of stuffs. That's their biggest issue yes. as, as a rushing offense. If they don't get stuffed, the rushing offense is very effective. It's great. Yeah. But, but they allow a lot. And that's, that is definitely a concern for me going into this matchup. It's basically like a, it, if they, if they make it past that front line, 
then you've got Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon in space against safeties and yikes. So I, <laughs> so I, I do see this linebacking core outside of Willie Gay is athletically limited. And, I, you know, I, Nick Bolton is, uh, they drafted him to be the Mike of the future. And they've had Anthony Hitchens as that Mike for, you know, the past four years now. Uh, he's probably, he's going to be a cap casualty next year for this team. So they're drafting more of a year ahead and knowing that they could maybe use him in kind of this base role and they weren't really expecting him i think to take the snaps that he has but as it stood when anthony hitchens got hurt the nickel run defense actually got a lot better with with nick bolton back there calling the fronts so it did improve in that regard however when targeted he he does give up some of the highest yards per target on the team and that's you do see that that's not his game and that's why you want willie gay to be on the field for that and but like you said willie gay very inexperienced he didn't play much at mississippi state like he didn't he dealt with suspensions he, he was in a rotation he punched his quarterback before a bowl game like he, i, you know, I want to say i love that that is a thing because i remember when i remember <laughs> talking about willie gay and a lot of people were like oh i'm worried about his character i was like well he did punch out his quarterback so he did he did. So, I mean, you I know, love his game, I, though. I do. Oh, yeah. And when and when he was asked about that with Patrick Mahomes, he was like, no, I, trust me, I'm not going to be hitting <laughs> Patrick. It's like, yeah, you better not. Um, but then he got hurt at the end of last year. You know, Steve Spagnuolo eased him in a little bit at the beginning of, la or beginning of last year because, you know, he didn't have a ton of experience. When he finally got snaps, he got hurt at the end of last year, was not there for the playoff run at all. And teams took advantage of the linebackers. And then gets in here looks pretty good in the preseason and gets hurt again to start this season so the chief got him back right at about week six when this defense started to turn around he has played the most linebacker snaps of anybody on this team in that time period they don't take him off the field in the base or the nickel they do pull him off on the dime but he is by far their most dynamic coverage linebacker He's got kind of an innate feel for some of those hook zone drops. Not great in man coverage, but he does have a good feel for some of that. And just the athleticism shows up when yeah, on, on a lot of that stretch stuff. So he's the guy that we're all, you know, all, all of us Chiefs fans are very hopeful for. They've been running a lot of that Bolton, Gay, Nickel. And so when the Broncos are in their 11 personnel, which I know they like to run more than, you know, everything, they don't like to be in heavy personnel a ton when they're in that 11 personnel, be on the lookout because I think that that's probably their best run stopping group right there. And they like to pair it with a little lighter defensive line to try and get some penetration in case the offense likes to run or likes to throw the ball out of some of those looks. So I, I think that that's probably the best set of linebackers that they can put on the field. And they're obviously the young ones that they're going to be going forward with. So I'm, I'm ready for them to take the mantle because frankly, the rest of the linebacker play has been pretty poor. The last area of the field, and we got to touch on it just because as a Broncos fan, and I, and again, I think I say this every week, when I watch games normally during special teams, it's kind of like I'll check Twitter or I'll like get up to go get you know a drink or it's just, you know, whatever. I can't do that during Broncos games just because they're so bad at special teams. You'll come back and there's a touchdown. 
Uh, basically, since Tom McMahon has been hired in 2018, the Broncos have had a bad special teams. And I know it precedes him, but he has not done anything in the last four years to make it better. Uh, they've allowed punt blocks. They've allowed a field goal block. They've given up a 102-yard kickoff return touchdown. Devin Duvernay got a career-long punt return. Uh, Draymond Jones had a, a leverage penalty that ended up costing them in the Steelers' loss. Yeah. So it's just it's a mess. Like, you know, top to bottom, it's a mess on the other side of the field. <laughs> Dave Taub is the best special teams coordinator in football. And you guys have the best special teams by the numbers in football. And I am particularly worried about the coverage units, uh, because you guys actually are good at it. Like, I don't think Deontay Spencer is going to do anything this week. Um, I did see that yeah. the Cowboys had a couple kind of close to field goal or a punt blocks, but the, mm-hmm. the, you know, a quick disclaimer for fans listening, the Cowboys punt block unit is kind of insane because they also have Micah Parsons on their punt block unit. So like, that's part of it. Um, so like, even though I watch that, I'm not necessarily optimistic. The Broncos will get one. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I hope I am. I hope you, you know, Hey, hope- do you guys have a Micah Parsons that you can rotate into your, your punt block unit? I mean, Baron Browning's the closest, oh, he but is. he's not no, Micah he Parsons. Is. No, but, but Baron Browning's at least got some juice. So yeah. I, and this is the week yeah. to do it. If you're going to do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's um, yeah. I, we give Dave Tobe a lot of shit because <sighs> Dave Tobe gets a lot of roster control on this chiefs team. He, he basically gets to flesh out the entire bottom of the roster. There's a lot of guys when we are talking about roster construction and the way that this team is built that I get frustrated with because I'm like, that guy's the better player. That guy's a guy that might actually contribute in X, Y, and Z and not just in special teams and all of that. And then year after year, Dave Tobe makes me look like a moron because his special teams units occasionally tilt the game in their favor. And I could see this being one. He's been really creative this year. He's shown a lot of different ways of, you know, scheming some of the return game. He's shown a lot of different ways of attacking some of the protections in the punt game. He's shown a lot of different ways of having Harrison Butker, you know, sort of tomahawk some some kicks to try and force some mistakes from special teams units that are, you know, further down on the DVOA list. And then, oh yeah, on top of that, the second best thrower of the football on the team is the Chiefs punter, Tommy Townsend. Like he, the man has a rocket. So they've taken advantage of some of these things that, you know, lesser, we'll call them, lesser special teams units have struggled to defend or maybe shown tells. It really hasn't mattered who it was, or the scenario, they seem like they're really showcasing all of it this year. So there's going to be a lot of stuff. And I think that this is one of those areas where the Chiefs might be able to tilt things in their favor. Because, yeah, the Broncos special teams has made a lot of mistakes. A lot lot of mistakes so far this season. So I think that Dave Tobe probably has something in his back pocket just waiting for the right look. We might see Tommy Townsend try and unleash another one. I mean, like, it's been interesting to watch everything that he's come up. Harrison Butker lined up for a field goal and pooch punted down to the two-yard line a couple weeks ago to force an offense to drive the length of the field down two scores with, like, two minutes left. You know, so, like, there's been some creative ways 
that they've used these guys so far this season. It's been really fun to watch. I've kind of been waiting. But going into this year, I said that there will be games where Tom McMahon basically just cost the Broncos a win. And mm. it would be devastating if we see, you know, the best game for Teddy Bridgewater, the defense does its part, and then Tom McMahon shits the bed because he has been doing it for four years. Uh, Pringle also stands out to me as a guy to keep an eye on. Um, 13, for those of you listening, I had it circled a couple times, you know, looking at my notes. Uh, he shows up in the Cowboys game. He was pretty close to a block at one point. Uh, mm-hmm. So just don't be surprised if he makes a play. Uh, he was an All-American returner in college at K-State as well. The Chiefs use him as their kick returner. He's by far their best kick returner. Not punt returner, but kick returner. Really good at that, too. And the Broncos coverage units are abysmal. So, <laughs> so it could definitely be a factor. And I, I asked this. I know I did this the last year when we talked. And I just want to ask you it again because you have the outside perspective. But mm-hmm. similar to me, you keep an eye on the division as a whole because you have oh, to. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, you and I, we're both kind of serious about it. Like, cause again, like keeping an eye on your neighbors is kind of how you, you know, what's coming. Yeah. This drew lock thing that the Broncos fandom is still, it's ridiculous, right? Like, am I, am I crazy for thinking it's insane that we're still talking about. And again, I'm not trying to beat up on the person. Like, and I, and I want to make that yeah. clear to, you know, listen, Drew Locke's a good dude. He's yeah. A good, yeah. He's a good dude. You know, if you're from Missouri, I'm not trying to hate on him. I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't hate him. I don't have a personal thing against him. I hate the fact that we've turned this into this, like in Broncos country, we've turned this into this toxic narrative thing that it, it's become bigger than Drew Locke. It's become this yeah. whole thing of like, you're not a real fan if you're objective about the bad quarterback play. It's like, no, that's bullshit. He's been bad. Like straight up, he's been bad. And I don't know necessarily if he's even been good enough to like really threaten QB, like QB one, like the fact he, like his hold on QB two is probably tenuous with most teams in the league at this point. I mean, you look at the physical attributes of him. That's why they drafted him. Yes. Because if he could, if he can land, like you said earlier, if he can land, he's tailor made for the offense. And there's a lot of people, I'm sure, you know, don't. I I'm not tuned in to Broncos country per se, but you know I. I'm sure there's a lot of people that salivate over the fact that if that guy puts it together, guess what? You know, it shits on it. it they, we're coming for the division. Like, and that is the case for sure. But the point is how many years has it been? And it, it's arguable that you've seen regression rather than progression. So that that's the part from a chiefs fan. I mean, you and I talk during the off seasons and stuff like that. And I, I've told you before, it's like, man, don't like you guys need to stay the hell away from all those quarter. Don't let that guy land in your lap. I don't want like when talking about, you know, not to, you know, open a wound here, but Justin Fields, like we talked about Justin Fields and now I started like, to cry. I, I apologize. I know <laughs> that's, that's, you and I talked about that. It's like, I don't want you to get a quarterback that can open up and unlock this offense in the way that it is clearly capable of being unlocked and it unlocked. Hey, yeah, um, no, I, I don't want to say it, but yeah, I definitely noticed. <laughs> but I mean, it's, it is one of those things where I understand why the Broncos have it's tried right. to keep going back to that. Well, I really get it, but I mean, the interception he threw to Dermot James this past week, uh, Dermot James is running across this field of vision and he's just still trying to, 
you know, trying to throw it through the defender. We we've seen as a Chiefs fan with me sitting here with Steve Spagnuolo, I'm going, man, I really hope that this team sees Drew Locke because I I feel that confident in Spagnuolo's ability to take away the simple things that he's going to do. So it's when you've got divisional opponents that want you to start that quarterback because they feel that gives them the best chance to win over the other guy. Like that's the guy that you want to try and get away from. That's the guy that you want to move on from. And I mean, I know that they want to get in on the quarterback market. They've, they've not been quiet about it. They really have not been quiet about it. So I know they want to get in. I know that they're going to fix it. And I know that, Probably when we're talking about this team next year, I'm going to be have, singing a completely different tune about the quarterback that you guys have. But as it stands right now, no. I Drew Locke is not the answer for this team. He just, it, It's just not, unfortunately, there because it, it would be fun to see him put that physical talent together with this offense. Even it, just removing my Chiefs hat, putting it aside it would be fun to watch a full octane version of this offense so it really does stink that he's not performed the way that he clearly should uh since we mentioned it and again guys i i actually bought your guys's draft guide and again i recommend it to you guys as well those of you listening like once it's out obviously it's not out yet uh but Mm -hmm. once you guys come out with it i love it i thought you guys did a great job with it you clearly put in the work yeah no and you you guys, your understanding of scheme and how it fits with the Chiefs is great because it gives you an idea of how things are kind of put together. I don't know if you've actually started scouting it, and I know I didn't give you any sort of heads up on this, but I'm just curious <laughs> if you have noticed anything with this upcoming class. Obviously, you guys aren't looking at quarterbacks. Yeah. Um, I, I do want to ask if you have noticed anything with the quarterbacks. The overall prevailing narrative is that this is going to be a down quarterback class. Mm-hmm. Broncos fans, a, there's a decent segment of Broncos country that it's basically like, oh, that's just a narrative. You know, experts are just hating it. They're just sticking to it. I'm going to be honest. My big thing, because I've been very loud about the fact that I think it's a bad quarterback class. Not not mm-hmm. shaky. I think it's bad. Mm-hmm. When I say that, and, and I want to preface this because a lot of people will say, well, you look at 2017, everyone said that was bad and Mahomes and Watson came out. <laughs> here's the thing and this yeah. is where i'm at with it even that year and i and i was in korea that year so i actually wasn't doing a lot of draft stuff but to me mahomes and watson looked different than this quarterback class in the aspect of they both looked like potential franchise guys if everything goes right and again yes. clearly like for mahomes it has mm-hmm. uh but my question with this quarterback class as i've looked at it is other than maybe malik willis I don't see like this high upside guy. Like if everything goes right for Matt Coral, I see maybe, yeah. a, maybe a top 10 guy. Like, and that's yeah. good. I, I mean, I'm not saying I, I, you know, I've watched Trevor Simeon. I will take a top 10 guy, <laughs> uh, but, but I don't, I don't see a guy from this class where I say, realistically, this is a guy that can be in that like ballpark. Cause I don't want to say Mahomes tier. Cause that's unrealistic. Right. Like in that range of like top five guys, like I don't see a guy in this class that can really hit that. And I mean, like you're going to hear Kenny Pickett, yep. his name a lot. Uh, Desmond Ritter. Desmond Ritter is fun. 
Uh, I don't know that he has the consistency on a snap to snap basis. And maybe that's something that you're going to see an offensive coordinator say, I can, I can work that out of that and get the tools out of that. But it's just, if it, it's frankly not great. The good one is the year after that. And I know that people say that every year. Like, trust me, I know. It, it, being in the draft community, the number of times I hear the words, yeah, we'll just wait till next year. No, it's it, this draft class is loaded in edge defenders, cornerbacks, and once again, for the umpteenth millionth year in a row, wide receiver. So those are the positions that, and specifically like big bodied X wide receivers, those are the positions that they're really good in. And after that, it kind of falls off a big old cliff and it's partially because of the quarterbacks. Uh, you just don't have, you don't have a consensus number one guy now. And I I know that, a, a lot of times people will say, well, you know, at this point in X year, this guy wasn't even the number one guy. And he, he vaulted up there and was like, yeah, well, he was number four. Like <laughs> he was, you were still talking about him as a top five guy. And he leapfrogged another guy that still went in the top five. Like those are the kinds of moves that you see right now. Like you see guys making mock draft, like Dane Brugler making a mock draft where, you know, I, I, I can't even, I, I think maybe one, quarterback two quarterbacks went in the first round at all and they went late later like that that's something that does not happen often and when that sort of thing happens it's usually a really bad quarterback class a really really bad quarterback class i mean point to that 2017 quarterback class like everybody liked deshaun watson everybody liked patrick mahomes Everybody liked Mitchell Trubisky too. I mean, they still had these guys. They were still floating around that top 10 range. And as it stands right now, it's not because the rest of the positions are so awesome that they're pushing these quarterbacks down because if quarterbacks there, team's going to take him. So I, I just worry that if you put all your eggs in the draft basket, I don't know that this is the year to do it, unfortunately. Uh, I was listening to Robert Mays talk to Brugler and he was talking about how this year's top 10 is actually looking much weaker than, you know, in past years. And, he, and again, for those of you listening, if you don't know Dan Brugler, he talks to a lot of NFL execs. So it's not, a it's lot. not just him saying that it's him from what he's heard saying that. And so the fact that a quarterback is still like on the periphery of the top 10, considering that the top 10 is kind of weak to me is a big concern. And again, not to, you know, not to bog you down. I know I'm keeping you forever. No, you're fine. But it's just, it's to me, it's one of those things that we're getting, you know, close to draft season. If the Broncos lose to the Chiefs, we're Broncos country is probably full stop going into draft mm. season. So it's something I have to start to get really, you know, start to educate myself on. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. There's always that guy. There's yeah. always that guy. It's just, it, it is more rare for that to happen than kind of, Again, one of the things that you're talking, not to bring it back to Drew Locke, but it's like you're, the expectation that he was going to break out in year, what was that, three? Yep. You know, it's like, yeah, and people point to Josh Allen. It's like, yeah, absolutely. That doesn't happen often, though. That's there's, not something that that happened. He was the exception to the rule. There's so, a reason we hold up Josh Allen and not a lot of other people. And then the other right. part of that is, too, and this is the most successful second-round quarterbacks in the modern era are Derek Carr, 
Andy Dalton and Drew Brees. Drew Brees. And that's 2000. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, mm-hmm. and so, but yeah, that's barely modern era. <laughs> yeah. And and so like, that was the other part of this with the Drew Locke, but that's also like part of my concern with this quarterback class is you're hearing a lot of people say they'll go in the first, but they're actually second round guys. And so yeah. you start to have a concern that like that guy's probably a fringe starter if things go right. But I mean, you, again, situation matters. Like yeah. a lot of people had a second round grade on Mac Jones as well. He fell. He goes to the Patriots. That's perfect scenario for him. That's that's the offense he needed to be in, and it's working. So, perfect scenario is there if you can just get a guy. And you know, again, you got to have a good Jesse scenario. Ritter. Yeah, I mean, it's a good scenario. You got the got the surrounding pieces. So, you just got to maximize the quarterback from there on out. Thus far, they haven't been able to do that with Drew Locke. So, you got to hope they can do it with a di- different guy. What's your prediction for this game? And assuming that you're going to pick the Chiefs, because I would assume that you will pick the Chiefs. Uh, how do the Broncos win? Um, like, what would you expect them to do to win the game? Like, if they're going to. Okay, I'll start with my prediction. I I gave it on our podcast, the Casey uh, Laboratory on KCSN's podcast network. I picked twenty-seven to seventeen. Um, I think the Chiefs script out of the bye, like the pre-scripted stuff is going to come out and it's going to be good. And they're going to put some points on the board within the first two to three drives. And then after that, I think it will, Fangio will make an adjustment and it will be a little bit of a slog. I just feel confident in what Spagnolo can do to keep that offense mostly in check throughout the day. So I think it's going to be that early burst and then Fangio shutting down the Chiefs offense a little bit. And then, you know, basically the defense for the Chiefs doing the job. In order for the Broncos to win, the pass rush has to get home. Four-man rush has to get home. Don't blitz Mahomes. Uh, Teams uh, have not been blitzing Mahomes, and it's been working for them. You don't blitz Mahomes. You got to hope for, you know, basically the Chiefs to play like they're playing. They're going to give you opportunities to turn the ball over, and you have to take all of them. So there's going to be plenty of those opportunities to do that. And then on the ground, on the other side of the ball, you've got to really pound the rock well and throw those 50-50 opportunities at the boundary cornerbacks. Make the Chiefs get out of a single high shell, not rotate a safety into the box. Force them into the two high looks that Steve Spagnuolo would prefer to be in anyway, and he will go too quickly. So force him to be there with some deeper shots, with some stuff that, he needs to help those cornerbacks with and then just lean on Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams and take advantage of the fact that the Chiefs are going to be in a light box and try and run the ball on them. I, I do think that there's an avenue, and it's not a particularly difficult one to get to do it. I just don't know if those offensive tendencies are going to lean that way this week for the Broncos. That's fair. Yeah. Hopefully that's what they do. Hopefully, I would love to see Justin Simmons get a pick six to cement his trip to the Pro Bowl. And he's been so good. He's been so good. Yes. And it's it's one of those weird things where because he's a safety, I spent a lot of time almost having to convince the Broncos fan base that he's good because people watch the broadcast view and they see the one big play that'll happen around him. They think it's all his fault. It's it's a whole thing. But yeah. 
But yeah, hopefully, hopefully the Broncos, you know, at least make it a game. Like at, at worst, if it's Tom McMahon that lets me down, well, hopefully that leads to his firing. But <laughs> but no, seriously though, thank thank you so much for your time. Guys, again, if you do not follow Craig on Twitter, go do it. He is at Barley Hop. Go follow him. Also, go follow his stuff over at KC Sports Network. It is terrific. Thank you so much for your time, man. I really appreciate it. It was fun talking to you. Hey, I really appreciate you having me, Joe. Let's uh let's do this again sometime. Hopefully, hopefully under better circumstances with a quarterback and we can be talking about how awesome these two offenses are going to play. God, I hope so. <laughs>